0: all things. So this last week was an interesting week. We've got uh, kids in Tampa, we've got kids in Orlando, we've got other family in South Carolina, we've got friends in North Carolina. And so, you know, tropical storms happen all the time. And uh, this one began as a tropical storm off the coast of Venezuela, went up through the Windward Islands, if you're familiar with that area, through the Caribbean Sea, Um, hit pretty hard on the western side of Cuba, and then started heading up toward the United States. Well, terrible things happen every day around the world, but the closer they get to you personally, (laughs) the more you pay attention to it. And uh, the closer they get to those that you love and care about. And so you're watching this, who can explain Why a hurricane will turn to the right or turn to the left? I mean, there are probably a lot of theories, a lot of combinations. We have um, people that are given to studying this completely, but it'll slow down. It'll speed up. It'll go to the left, to the right. And um, we're wondering, where is it going to hit and how bad is it going to be? There are so many uncertainties in life like this that we just don't know. And what that tends to produce in us is fear. I think fear is Satan's greatest tool to bring about discouragement and despair and also cause us to make poor decisions. God calls us to live by faith. In other words, trust in him for everything and it's not an easy thing to do when the storm is coming because as a believer in God you experience the same storms they don't go away Um, as it says the rain falls on the just and the unjust so it is with Moses life Uh, we can't explain a lot of things we can't answer a lot of why's why is this happening this way Last week we left this what we call burning bush experience where God reveals to himself with a new name, the name Jehovah, and this name means I am. He says I am. I am the self-existent, self-sufficient one. I am the eternal God, all-powerful, all-wise, omnipotent, omnipresent, immutable, good and kind and loving. He is everything. But the key to this is that you can know me personally. You can know me personally. And so that's who. Who will always precede what. So this is who I am. And that's the question, not who am I. (laughs) That's what Moses wanted to know. Who am I? It's not about you, Moses. Sorry. It's about me. And once you get that right, you'll get yourself right. And you'll get everything else right. Puts everything else into perspective. So the what? Okay, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. You left there 40 years ago. And I want you to lead my people, three million of them now, out of Egypt to the land that I have promised to them. And I'm thinking, he had five excuses. We went through those. (laughs) He probably would have kept on going if the Lord had let him, of why he couldn't go. Why would I want to go back to Egypt? And yet God has given him that assignment. God's will for you and for your kids, parents, this will be helpful for you, will always be beyond what they can do, humanly speaking. God calls us to lives of impossibilities. Impossible to do. But we can trust in him that he will be able to. So this now, we begin the journey. Moses is on his way, and um, he's, he's, he's following God. Um, I'm sure he's got concerns. He, he's gonna experience a lot of things, but what we're gonna see with him is it, it might have been a little bit of an upbeat thought at the beginning, because you know what, I've seen God face to face, and I'm following him, and so that plus that equals a blessed life. Now, we just naturally think that way. You know, I saw the Lord, great experience, I'm gonna follow what he says, and and actually when we go through this, it, it does start out that way, and then things happen. And they're hard to figure out. And what the, what can this, this can do to you is you're trying to figure it out. You get all down into, why is this happening? I don't understand why this is happening. And I got a little story to insert here. that uh, This is three weeks ago. I was back in Virginia Beach. And uh, most of you know my dad passed away. has been three years ago now, three and a half years ago. And um, I used to go back regularly to see him, um, talk to him most days. And uh, my sister had a Bible uh, on the kitchen counter. It was, it was my dad's old Bible, New American Standard Bible, um, which is a very literal translation of the Bible. And he had a little post-it note stuck in Proverbs, in um, Proverbs 20:24, 20, and he had written down that verse in the New Living Translation, which is a little more of a um, dynamic equivalent, I would say, than a formal, more of a looser, but you can you get the sense of it. And, and it meant so much to him, he had written it down and stuck it in Proverbs. Here's what it says. And you've got to understand what my dad was going through before he died. I mean, he had... Um, losing his, his muscle uh, tone and, and uh, hard to move around, hard to walk, wondering, you know, his lungs were filling up with fluid, wondering why am I still here? Um, and here's, here's what he had written down. Proverbs 20:24, 20, the Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? <laughs> Isn't that great? The Lord directs our steps. So why try and understand everything along the way? I'd mentioned last week, there's a lot more that we don't know than we do know. But what we do know is sufficient. So from bad to worse, we'll look at the text this morning and end of chapter four, um, part of chapter five, and then first part of chapter six. But I've I've kind of broken this up in three sections so you can follow me. Uh, First is life in the calm of the storm. In other words, before the storm comes, my kids are telling me, "You know, we got a hurricane supposed to hit," and it's just so nice and calm outside. (laughs) And then we have the storm that comes, and then the last part is what I call life in the eye of the storm. So at the beginning, Moses and Moses goes out in this section from. 29-31 29 to 31 of chapter 4 says Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders. These are the leaders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke on behalf of Moses, that the Lord had spoken to Moses. He did the signs in the sight of the people. Remember, he had uh, turned the, the staff into a snake serpent, back into the, the staff and his hand with the leprosy. And it says, and the people believed. Wow. Isn't that great? I mean, he goes and he speaks and the people believed. And when they heard what the Lord had done in visiting the the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is good. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness." So this is really what I would say, and this can be this way in the Christian life. Early on, you say, I'm gonna put my faith and trust in Christ, I'm gonna follow him, I'm gonna make that decision. And you start to follow him and you think, wow, the people believing and they're worshiping and they're exciting, and he actually gets an audience with Pharaoh, which is quite unusual. For a man to come in like this, Pharaoh doesn't know his past, who he was, and everything is moving along. And I I think what I call this is the season of blessing. Have you ever experienced that before? where You know, life is just good. Now, I know it's not most of life. (laughs) It's not easy like that, but there are times when it's just a good season of life. And if we're not careful, we, we can equate a good season of life, in other words, it's easier that we're approved by God, that that God is pleased with us. And that's not the way it works. You, You read through scripture and see the examples of so many who are doing the right thing. And the hurricane hits. You lose a loved one. You're doing the right thing. You have friends betray you. And what can develop, and I think has happened a lot around the world, particularly in America, is a prosperity theology that if you follow Jesus and you come to church and you put money in the offering plate and do you do this, this, and this, God's going to bless your life. And he does. He does. But not in the ways that most people think. It's not like you're bank account starts growing, you got a new car, new house, got a promotion at the job, you know, cured of all your sickness and disease because you don't find that in Scripture. We would rather live in the calm. I would rather live in the calm. I don't enjoy having my faith tested. But we quickly move to the second part, and that's in verse 2 of chapter 5 where Pharaoh, I mean, he says, can you imagine Moses God says, Let my people go. (laughs) And Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? And he's using that word, Jehovah, the personal Lord. Pharaoh doesn't know God. In fact, they've got so many gods in Egypt, they've got a God for everything. I don't know him. And he says, I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let the people go. Whoops, <laughs> this is not going well. The same day, it says, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people in their form. and their foreman." he says, you no longer give the people straw to make bricks. You know, they're building all these monuments across Egypt. Now they've gotta gather the straw to make the bricks And um, that's the response he gets from Pharaoh. He's thinking, well, let's go back to the safe haven of God's people, and Moses will find encouragement. But there, in chapter 5, verse 19, it says, the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord... Look upon you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, so the the leaders representing the people are incredibly angry at Moses. This looks like a major backfire. So how can this be that I do the right thing? I go to Pharaoh. You said, go tell him. And you're going to lead these people out of Israel. And you've got to realize that ultimately everything is going to work out. But not always immediately. There are a lot of twists and turns like the hurricane that have purpose that the Lord has. So you have conflict with Pharaoh, you have conflict with the people, and then you see conflict with God. And typically, this is where we go when life is not going the way we think it should. I get angry here and there. I get angry at myself and other people. I'm frustrated. And finally, we see Moses vent with God. Moses turned to the Lord. And he said, and this is uh, the word Lord here translated Adonai, different than personal, because I think that there's kind of been a tension here, he said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Now, let me ask you a question, can God do evil? I mean, you look at all through scripture, there's not any place where it says that God does evil, can do evil, or has done evil. But this is the way he feels. Often we can feel this way with God too. Is God, why did you let that happen? Why didn't you stop that? You could have stopped that, and He could. Why did you ever send me? <laughs> See, it's like I'm thinking, I knew. I, he's thinking, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I should be back in that desert, walking, watching those dumb sheep. He says, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Now that makes me a little nervous you talking to God that way. You have not done what you said you were going to do. And see, this is what happens to us is when we're we get off on our own version of what's happening, our own truth. God allows tension in your life for the purpose of not to develop fear, but to develop faith. Satan wants to see that same tension make you angry at God, angry at the people, angry at everything, disobey God, lose your joy. God wants you when the tension, you feel the tension come, to draw up close to him and get a fresh look at his face. Remember, that was the key of seeing the face of God. F.B. Meyer, who now passed away, author and preacher of the last century, said this. He says, out of the whole story, there comes to us this lesson. We must never suppose that the difficulties which confront us indicate that we are not on God's path. And doing his work. Indeed, the contrary is generally the case. If we are willing to walk with God, he will test the sincerity and temper of our soul. He will cause men to ride over our heads, but he will bring us into a large room and give us the very thing on which we have been taught to set our hearts. Did you hear that? He said, He's going to allow men to ride over our heads, but He's going to bring us to a large room where we're going to see everything that we had hoped for and dreamed for. God brings tension in your life. He brings tension to my life. I used to think that, well, maybe once when I'm older and I'm more mature, I have all this Christian experience, I won't need that anymore. (laughs) That's not true. I need it as much today as I did when I first started following Christ. He brings the tension. So our men's uh, discipleship group took a trip down to Florida, not far from where this hurricane hit, and did some fishing this summer. And um, one of the things that Dustin was telling us, we're off this boat and we're fishing, he says you gotta keep the line tight. So you were fishing in fairly shallow water, you throw that line out there, let it out, let it out. He said, but you can't just let it float all over the water. You got you to bring that line in. Most of you guys that fish know this. You keep that line just tight enough where you can feel the fish hit the other end. I don't think it's possible to have a meaningful relationship with Christ unless there is tension when you draw to Him and need him. Every trial, every test, every difficulty, every impossibility should move us to greater dependence and faith, not fear. So, why? Why? Why did Pharaoh respond this way? Why did the elders respond this way? Why did the people respond this way? Why? Why does the hurricane turn to the left? Turn to the right? Slow down, speed up, why? I've got a profound answer for you. I don't know. And you know what, there, there is a lot I don't know about this book, about God's ways, about the events in life, there is a lot I don't know. As I said, there's a lot more I don't know than what I do know. But what I do know, here's what I do know on the why. This just kind of helps me deal with the why. Number one, God is always working for good. How do I know that? Well, he says it, Romans eight twenty eight. he says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And he demonstrates it. He doesn't just say it. He says that same verse many different ways throughout the scriptures. But he demonstrates it in every case. God is always good. He, it may not seem to be at the beginning. It may not, it, you're not making sense of it. But God is always good. Good, everything he does is good. Number two, God is always doing what is right. He is doing what is just and fair and right. He is true. Third, God is on a mission constantly revealing himself and offering to all. So in this story, you remember I I was saying Moses like, who am I? Who am I? And, and God's about his messages to the world. He cares about every single soul on the face of this earth. How do I know that? The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Now, yes, Moses, I love you, and you are special. But he is on a mission that everyone have the opportunity to believe. He wants to reveal himself, not just to Moses, but to the children of Israel. He also wants to reveal himself to Pharaoh and to all the Egyptians, to give them an opportunity for relationship. God is working for redemption. He is working toward forgiveness. He is working for and toward eternity. God is perfect in his timing. I call it his patient timing. So why doesn't God hurry up? Why doesn't God just, okay, that's it, we're done. Everybody who's believed, coming to heaven. What about those who don't? Anyone here have family members or friends that have yet to believe on Christ? to believe on eternal life, to believe on the gift of eternal life, to believe in salvation, do you? So that's, that's what gives you pause, right? That's, that gives you a little pause about right now. That's what gives God his patience. <laughs> he's not willing, it says this, Peter records this, he's not willing that any should perish. He, he's not desiring that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. God will at long last bring perfect judgment and I believe this is also true that anytime you see the wrath of God, the just holy wrath of God, it's because people have con- refused to believe, they've refused the free gift, they have rejected his offer. You're gonna see with Pharaoh 10 times, 10 miracles. And so rather than softening his heart, it makes his heart hard and rejects. And so when people go into a Christless eternity, a godless eternity, it's their choice. It's their rejection. So, don't put that on God. God has offered to all, begged all, plead with all to be saved. So, that, that doesn't answer all the whys like the hurricane, or it doesn't answer the why specifically with Pharaoh, with the leaders in Israel. It doesn't, it doesn't explain all the whys, but when you know that God is always doing this in love, He's always working toward eternal ends, He is going to give people opportunities for salvation. And he's patiently doing that for the entire world. That helps, doesn't it? So we can say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. In fact, it's probably better if you say, I don't know, than try to explain everything. The last section I look at is the eye of the storm. This is how God responds in chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses... Now you will see, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his hand, out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. So here's what he's saying is actually what's going to happen, you're going to see this. I am the Lord. He says, actually, Pharaoh is going to force you out by his own hand. In Proverbs 21, it says the king's king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. So Pharaoh is actually going to drive them out. First he's saying, I'm not letting you out, not letting you out. He's going to drive you out. That's what God's going to do. The eye of the storm. As I come back to this, that when you when you are in the storm, and this this whole eye of the hurricane is a pretty fascinating thing. Um. Kids sent a a picture, and within the eye, what was it? Um, how many miles across? Uh, was it? The inside, I don't remember remember the size of the eye, it was huge though. You could fit, I think the last big hurricane that hit Florida inside, the whole hurricane inside the eye of this. So inside the eye of the hurricane, calm. You could see the wind speed, four miles an hour. In this huge area. And then all, all around, it's over 100 miles an hour. And I think that's what, that's what Christ is for us. The Christian life is not taking you out of the storm. But when you center yourself in Him, you come back to His face, back to His relationship. There is calmness and peace and joy. It's kind of a sobering joy in the middle of the storm. And here's what He, he does. And this—it's reminders. You—you you ever have your parents remind you of something? I'm going <laughs> to tell you the same thing. I know, I know, I know, I know. You get tired of it until you have to do it to your kids. <clears throat> <laughs> so he's going to remind, and this is what we need here. When when your life starts going like this, and you have no, and you don't understand why, and you're upset about everything. Remember who he who he is and what he said, two things. In the next section here of chapter six, you get into chapter six, he's gonna say five times, I am. Do you remember the I am statement? The I am is his new name, I am, all caps, I am. And every time you see in your English Bible, Lord, the word Lord, and it's all caps, uh, that's referring to the Yahweh, the Jehovah, the personal God. If it's in lower uh, letters, um, it means Adonai, or Lord like a, a master. So that's kind of a, the way that they do that in the English Bible. But this is what he is saying, I want to remind you The I am. He's seeing the face of God in the person of Christ. That's the only way you can see God's face is in the person of Christ. Christ is the expressed image of God. But he's reminding him of this. You know, there there was an experience, um, an experience that they had, it's like a marriage. You know, when I, when I married Diane, I mean, it was, there was a date, a time, a ceremony, a pronouncement, point in time, point in time. And when you come to faith in Christ, there is a point in time where you believe. It, it, it comes together. It, it, I believe, <laughs> I, yes. Sometimes you see, I think I just put my faith and trust in Christ. And so you become a child of God. You become what the the scriptures call born again, new life, spiritual life. But that's not all that there is. It's like in a marriage, this is the beginning of a relationship over years. I don't just go and say, Well, I got married. Where's your wife? I have no idea where she's living these days. (laughs) Not sure what she's doing. I haven't talked to her in a long time, but I'm married. That's the way I think a lot of Christians live. Well, I got saved. I went forward in the church. I trusted Jesus as my personal savior, but he's called you into a relationship, and that means getting back to the eye of the storm, getting a fresh look at his face, the I am. I am holy. I am the self-existent. I am the all-powerful. I am the all-wise. I am ever-present in your life. I am good in everything I do. Every attribute of God is caught up in this I am. You need a fresh look to calm yourself down. That's what your faith is in. Otherwise, you're gonna be like everyone else, swirling on the outside in fear. In chapter six, he says this in verse two, six, seven, eight, and 29, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God, I I am the Lord, I am the Lord. Why? Because we forget the I am. So we see his face, the who, and we hear his voice. What did, what did God say um, to Moses? He said, I want you to go see Pharaoh and deliver the people. Well, that's what he did. Didn't work out. <laughs> It's not working out, doesn't matter. That's not up to Moses, that's up to God. He is to be obedient. So we heard this at, back at the burning bush. The promise to him. And I love this how, you know, he has the command and he knows the person. And then, you know, I just mentioned there are five times he says, I am, I am, I am, I am, I <laughs> am. Okay, what more do you need? Okay, what more do you need? And then he says eight times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. This is verses one through eight of chapter six. He says, you will see what I will do to the Egyptians. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham. I will give it to you for your possession. Are we clear? That's all you need. That is the eye of the storm. I am and I will. You don't need the why. You really don't. You know this last week I read, I talked to Reed on the phone. He's a our youngest son, pastor's out in Lodi, California. But he had gone on a trip It was gone for a while, and uh, his youngest, their youngest daughter, Sylvie, not yet two, is really missing her daddy. And uh, so when he gets home, she crawled up into his lap, and she started, she just looked at his face, and he said she was staring at my face, and this big smile, just looking at every part of my face. (laughs) It's like I'm trying to remember my daddy's face, you know, and I when he told me that I said, I'm going to put that in my sermon. I said, because that is, that is what we need to do. Look into the face of God through Christ, revealed to us everything we need to know. You don't know everything. You have everything you need to know about the face of Christ. His character. Um, who he is. And what he has said. I will, I will, I will, I will. Now... How often do you think you need to get into the eye of the storm on a weekly basis? How often would you say? I would say, well, get in there once a week, get in there once a day. I say, you need to live there, folks. You need to live there. And I think we need to be reminded when we go through things, just, just this week I'm thinking of Ginger losing another one of her children. We've got people losing their homes. We, we cannot have joy and peace and anticipation about the future unless we remember who and what. We can do that, can't we? We know enough. We know enough. To live with joy and peace and anticipation for what's coming. Because how does this story end? Do they ever get out? Oh, well, we know that now. So that's not faith. But it's faith for you when you don't know yet how this is going to work out. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you've blessed us with it. And I pray that you'd help us to get a fresh view of your face every day. And to remember your words, I will. And bring to us the joy and the peace, not away from the storm, but right in the middle of it, where many of us live. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.